want to welcome you back to Wednesday nights and our study where sinners say I do. Um, again, a lot of you have been familiar with us already. We're not focusing on the marriage aspect as much as our, we're focusing on the fact of dealing with our sin nature. If you missed any of the Sunday school at 9.30 on Sunday mornings or our worship service uh, that we have in person at 10.20, we're meeting in the gym and you can come. Uh, we also show that at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights. And then our Wednesday night studies, go to basschapel, uh, basschapel.church, and there's a lot of different formats. You can listen on, on a podcast, or you can watch a YouTube channel, or on Facebook. Uh, there's a secure way for you to give, or you can give through our PO box, or physically give here. Um, if you have a need, please contact us, email us, or call us, and we'll get back to you. Our mission's open on Wednesdays from 9 to noon, and uh, you can come in and uh, get food and clothing. We just have people do it once, uh, one at a time and wear a mask. But uh, stay connected. And again, if you have any needs, please let us know so we can help you with that. Um, let's open in prayer. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for how you speak to our hearts. I pray you continue to uh, protect people through this time. I pray you guide our nation as as we uh, go through making decisions. And I just pray you help us, to, dear Lord, as Christians, to shine as lights in the dark. And we ask that you speak to our hearts and help us to apply these things to our lives today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We're uh, in chapter 8 in our study, and this chapter is called Stubborn Grace, the Persistent Power to Run Together. And uh, we're going to look at the word that can inspire, I, I want I look at a word that can inspire faith and hope, and the word is grace. And a lot of times we think about it, but there's also different kinds of grace that we deal with, and it's mysterious, it's a powerful force that draws us in and out of our sinful isolation and deposits us in a sweet relationship with God through Christ. That's what grace does. It puts us back into a relationship. Grace accomplishes the amazing, impossible task of delivering me safely to the altar of conversion, but then it rides off to save someone else, leaving me to fend for myself. Is that really how it is? I get saved, it brings me to right relationship, and then it rides off to go help somebody else. Persistent grace to run the race. That's what we're going to look at tonight. The depth and breadth of God's grace is so poorly misunderstood among Christians. No area of application can be more urgent than in our own lives. Our temptation is to believe that the, that the way to a good Christian is right teaching, right action, working harder, repenting more, and, and feeling different. And sure, those are critical, but they are not grace. I can do more. In a couple of weeks, as we continue through the, uh, the series on Sunday mornings and the parables, we're going to be talking about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector and, and you know one thinking they did enough to get into heaven when the other one realizing they haven't. And, and so many times we can be like that. We're going to be looking at Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, and it says this, and we're going to be going back and looking a little bit closer at some of the scriptures, but for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're going to look at that tonight and understand how grace can help us be these people that God wants us to be. And so, um, 
these verses carry good news. They're a glorious sequel to saving, justifying grace. The grace that justifies it declares us that we're right in God's eyes. And it sanctifies us, making us holy daily in our lives. And we don't talk about sanctifying grace that much. We talk about saving grace. But we're not going to focus on that tonight. We need grace to live. And it's a prevailing, unstoppable grace that doesn't close up shop the day after we say the sinner's prayer. It's the power of God to help us overcome sin and a potent weapon in our fierce struggles. But this is the problem. We don't want to fight sin. And it is hard. But He gives us grace. In these verses, Paul shows us how saving grace becomes a sanctifying grace. Saving grace becomes a sanctifying grace. In verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We see that grace begins with our Savior and the embodiment of grace appearing and bringing salvation to us and reconciliation to the enemies of God. This is the, found, this is the foundation and fountain of grace. Grace appeared in Christ. Jesus is clarifying saving grace and sanctifying grace as the same grace. The different names just indicate the focus of grace's activity, not the di- not that a different kind of grace is at work. And so one is to save us and the other is to grow us. For Christians, grace is here to teach us how to live in unique individual moment by moment lives we, in the moment by moment lives that we will lead. It's teaching us how to live. Grace is a permanent fixture in our life of every Christian, a divine force, constantly on the job, 24-7, a a truth applier standing over all we do. Grace is the teacher turned coach that insists we run toward God. The teacher turned coach that that insists that we keep running towards God. You notice in in Titus 2.12, he says, Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I don't know about you, but you sit there and look at the scripture. It should hit you right where you live that there's no middle ground on what we should be doing as Christians. And it reminds us of the spiritual growth is inevitable. Not because we are great students, but because grace is an exceptional teacher. It's the coach who won't quit, the teacher who never clocks out. Grace is persistent to enable us to run the race. So what is the first exercise of our training? Grace trains us to renounce. That means to deny, to reject, or refuse. There are two targets within which in the crosshairs of grace, ungodliness and worldly passions. So grace is aiming at ungodliness, and it's aiming at our worldly passions, and it's training us to renounce them, to reject them, to refuse them, to deny them. The biggest challenge in our lives is that we tend to live more like the old man that we were once were than the new man that we have become in Christ. But he tells us not to fear. God has made provision for change. Grace meets us right where we're at and takes us to where God wants us to be. And this is the problem. I've got to do it myself. And... The sermon this week on Sunday is talking about the door and that the door is narrow and few find it, not because they earn it, but they try so many times to do it themselves. Grace meets us right where we're at and it takes us to where God wants us to be. We like the first part, you want to take me there, God? And then we put I into it or we don't want to do it? Grace and, 
Grace and salvation gave us new desires to please God and to live His glory. Grace and sanctification works to overcome the remaining opposition of sin and to move us towards the goal that saving grace has set in our hearts. That's what sanctifying grace does. It's the grace that we as Christians should be living in, but so many times we ignore. Grace arrives to help us renounce the phases of uh, phrases forming our minds and the passions for punishment erupting in our hearts. It, it blots those out because grace is of God. It is violently opposed to sin. It instructs us to strangle, to mortify, to go to war with, to kill it. As Barney Fife would say off Annie Griffith, nip it in the bud. Its counsel is simple. Lock, load, aim at sin and pull the trigger. But too many times we get comfortable in our sin. This is why I think this study is really important, especially in the time that we live in, is we've got too many, quote, Christians that are playing around with sin and saying, well, I'm saved by grace and I can't do anything. I have this sin nature and if I try to do better, then I'm trying to save myself or stay saved. No, none of that is biblical. But we are called to be holy as He is holy. And we are called to head towards God. It doesn't make us more saved. It's because we are saved and have the Holy Spirit and grace working in our lives. Perhaps these areas of sin, perhaps there's areas of sin God is exposing you. If so, His intention is that you renounce them. There are things in my life Especially as you get older, you say, oh, that's just the way I am. No. Shame on me. Shame on you if you think that. I don't care what age you are. We can't make excuse for sin. When God impresses on your life, you need to deal with it. And you need to be unsettled about it. And you need to let Him work in it. And you need to get radical and kill it out of your life. But too many times, especially in the American Christian culture, we get comfortable with very dangerous things. And that is why we're dealing with a lot of the things we're dealing with now. It's because we haven't personally, individually, drawn those lines and say, this could kill me. Or this could kill my witness. Or this could kill the cause of Christ. Grace, the power to live. Maturity comes not from knowing what to avoid, but what to pursue. So many times I've got to avoid that. You know, it's just like what they teach uh, in the Secret Service on counterfeit bills. They don't have them look at counterfeit bills. They have them look at real bills to know what a real bill has. And so many times in the Christian life, I've got to stay away from this. I've got to know what this is about. No! Get so far into Jesus that you're a thousand miles away from that. It's a lot easier. Two aspects of sanctified grace are renouncing and, embra- and, and, and embracing and turning from what is wrong and turning to what is right. Uh, Titus 2.12 again says, Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives again in this present age. As we practice renouncing sin, sanctifying sin teaches us how to replace the passions of this world with godliness. See, if you get rid of something, you need to fill it with something. And that's, the, that's godliness, the things. Grace, the power to wait. A third component of grace displayed in this passage is the power to wait. We are called to live in this present age waiting for the appearing of Christ. Our lives play out in the historical waiting room between Jesus' first coming and His return. Paul calls this waiting room this present age. So we are in the now and not yet. And we are in this present age and we are waiting to either go to Christ or the return of Christ. And what does it mean to act and to wait at the same time? 
let's look at what Paul's saying in this passage. Notice the dual focus Paul puts together in the single sentence. One moment he's talking about the clear, tangible, here and now realities of daily life. Living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And the next moment he makes a leap to the return of the Lord and talking about what is he doing with that. Paul is keeping our hope where it ultimately belongs in Christ. This life is not really about you. It's not about me at all. It's about Christ, God, working through us. And Rick Warren did a very excellent job in The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. In this waiting room, God promises sanctification, a pattern of God-glorifying overall spiritual growth brought about by the power of His persistent grace. That's how we live it. So we mess up and He helps us. Are you know more? What do you know more for? There's a difference between making a mistake and, and, and a spiritual sinful habit you know, going on in your life. That's why we wait. Perfection is coming. Perfection will arrive when the Son of God returns and we dwell with Him in the heavens and the new earth. In this present age, we cooperate with God's persistent, sanctifying grace to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. We understand that some sins, some challenges, difficulties, and weaknesses may never be totally overcome. That all changes. That all change takes time, but we don't like to wait. Waiting works things into our souls and our lives that nothing else can do. It's a lesson we have to learn and relearn on a regular basis. God is not this Mr. Fix-It handyman armed with a duct tape and superglue. That's all I can do. The creation of the character that exhibits godliness and self-control is crafted slowly over time. You know when somebody's taken time to make something, whether it's baking, cooking, or, or artist, you know you see the quality in it and something that is cheaply made. Grace interacts with time and eternity. Sanctifying grace settles our souls so that we're so that here in this waiting room we can both work and wait. Trusting God is exercising His perfect will, even in those areas where we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. As persistent sanctifying grace works in our lives, makes us more like Christ. We wait for Christ. So grace, the power. To want grace was the power to wait, but then grace is also the power to want. Grace has now appeared in Christ to train us to redirect our passions toward God. We see that at the end of verse uh, 14 of uh, uh, Titus 2, uh, it says here, "Who are zealous for good works?" Or you go a little bit further in that that scripture there in verse 14, "Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness." to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We might be zealous for good works. What is zeal? Zeal is desire on steroids. Grace uh, uh, not only trains, it transforms us from within. Grace uh, excavates all the way down to our core desires and directs them to God. And what we want in life actually changes. Grace renovates our zeal and doesn't quit until the good works flow. When you finally realize it's not about me, it's about God. It gets down to the root and that takes time, but that's what creates that zeal. 
It, it, grace transforms us from the inside out. The next part, exporting gra- this grace. In other words, we get transformed, and now we need to get that grace out. As we prepare to wrap up this time today, uh, Paul goes the ne- next to the discussion of grace in verse 15 a second, uh, of Titus chapter 2. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And so what we see here, he continues to say these. How often do you point to others back to God? How often do you remind them that God's grace is always at work to train and to change them? And so, so many times we like grace for ourselves, but we don't point people back to that grace. And that's what he's talking about in verse 15, to exhort, to rebuke. Once you have gotten grace and are zealous about grace, then you point other people to it. So how can you? How can we help one another along? Here's some things we can look at. We uh, we need to remind people we're inclined to drift from grace to self-effort. We've been talking about this tonight, and I've been talking about the parables. But the next two parables, the one about the door, and the other one about the Pharisee and the tax collector that we're going to be doing on Sunday mornings, um, really are talking about trying to do it yourself. And so a lot of times when you're trying to export grace and help other people to grasp God's grace, we need to help them that we are so, we're so inclined to drift from, I need you, God, to I can do it myself, just like that little kid. A little kid that know they can't, but they're going to be as all stubborn to get it. To remind each other of the gospel, that we, need to, that we need to preach the gospel to one another, that we need God. And 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. So we think of the gospel just being saved, but when we think of the saving grace and sanctifying grace, the gospel says, I need God, period, to live. And so we need to preach the gospel to each other. We need to encourage us to meditate on the gospel for our needs. We need to encourage resting in God, even as the, the battle rages. So many times, I'm one of these people, it's like, I'm going to get done before I rest. But we need to stop. We need Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29 says this, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Too many times we say, when I get done, instead of, I'm stopping and resting in you. We go back to the 23rd Psalm. Yea, thou walk through the valley of shadow of death. He didn't, you know, he's walking through your rod and your staff. They comfort me. He sits down in the presence of his enemies because God is with him through those areas. So many times when you say, when I get done, instead of resting in God in the middle of what's going on. We, uh, we may tend to become uh, discouraged. We need to remind them that people that God works beneath the surface well before change. That God is doing something. He's out there working. We need to celebrate what we can see, even if we're not directly related, uh, can see it. Uh, but grace should be acknowledged and celebrated wherever it springs up. That was God's grace there. You know, um, I don't know what's going on with me because I try to be a safe driver, but it seems like in the past three or four years, uh, you know, my guardian angel's uh, going overtime on uh, not me always making mistakes, but people coming right at me and, and I get protected. I'm going home in our intersection yesterday and this school, there's no stop sign either way. I got my blinker on. This school bus is coming right for me and I'm turning. And there's an example of God's grace right there that I'm fine and they were fine. 
You see how grace springs up and we need to thank God? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Sometimes grace is at work where we don't even expect it. Ours is not to dictate the way change should happen, but be thankful wherever grace becomes evident. Review the game plan for change. What spiritual disciplines can we bring to bear on this area? In other words, how can I pray more about this? How can I get into God's Word more on this specific subject? I talk to people about learning Scripture. Every Scripture I have learned has dealt with an area I was struggling with at the time. And this is why we talk about grace. God, show me your Word and guide me. Because then we go back to what we talked about earlier tonight. We talked about we need to nip it in the bud and kill it out. And that's why that Scripture we need to know. God's Word says I shouldn't be doing this. And God's Word also says He's going to give me grace to deal with this and the power of His Holy Spirit to do this. For God is working in us. Give me the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Philippians 2.13 And so... What spiritual disciplines can I bring to bear? Pray more. In God's Word. Accountability. Who in our church can we involve with? Who can I involve with counsel and prayer to help me? Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Psalms 27, 17. You, uh, we can lose sight of the ultimate goal. Everything we do in this temporary world seems serves for training for the permanent world. God's not wasting a moment. He doesn't have us to set, soak, and sour. He's got us to be sanctified, to glorify Him, to point others to God, and to help each other. We need um, we be pointed uh, be pointed not to grace, but to the one whom all grace flows from. We can't give grace on our own, but we need to point to the one who gives grace, Jesus Christ. Provides us the opportunity to remind one another the real power behind our progress and direction is Jesus Christ. Grace, amazing, persistent grace is helping us each day to run the race of renouncing, living, waiting, and wanting more of God. The grace of God has appeared with power so stubborn that it will not allow sin to ultimately win. That's remarkable news of the journey of life. So what's your excuse tonight? Psalms 37, uh, uh, Psalms talks about, search me, Psalms 139, 23, and 24, I believe, says, search me, God, know my thoughts, test me, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me along the road everlasting. Ask God to show you, one, if you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, admit that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We all fall short. Believe Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead for your sins. And call on Him and confess Him as Savior and Lord. That's saving grace. But for those of you that have done that, I hope you're realizing through this series that you are going to struggle with sin your whole life and you're going to be progressing toward and in grace. And you need to be killing these things out of your life. And I encourage you tonight and this week to go back to Titus chapter 2 and to go back to verses 11 through uh, 15 and to wrap those things in the, around your life that you begin to kill these things out of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the bedrock of grace. And that once you do that, that you begin to give grace to others. Because that's what draws people. Lord, I thank you for everyone here tonight. I pray you guide us to live in your grace and to give your grace. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.